I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Last week on the Junebug, Caroline lost her beloved husband, Vincent. After having her faith tested by the loss of her son and losing the desire to seek treatment for her dementia, Caroline now faces a future without her closest confidant. Details in the story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 7 Pieces The angry voice of a disgruntled pundit stirred Caroline from her sleep. Her morning alarm was set to a conservative AM talk station. Sleepily, she reached for the radio and silenced the Obama-fueled rage. Trump has been president for a year now, and still they rage on about Obama failures and conspiracy-fueled criminality. It is a cold January morning, so Caroline's winter housecoat was resting on the chair beside her bed. It was fleece-lined, and the outer layer was a satin pattern of lavender blossoms and snowflakes. The matching house slippers had long been misplaced. Instead, she slid her swollen feet into a tight-fitting pair of red flannel slippers. The walk to the kitchen was long and arduous this morning. Caroline's legs still gave her trouble from the car crash, and a lingering pain in her shoulder kept her reminded of that fall on the trail so many years ago. Today, though, the pain in her upper body didn't stir the anger or resentment it had in the past towards Vincent. That resentment had long been relinquished to passing years. This was a new sensation. Instead, the mild discomfort brought a sense of pity for how poorly she had treated her husband in the aftermath. Perhaps also sympathy for the guilt he had carried since that incident. In the kitchen, 
Caroline discovered that the coffee maker timer hadn't been set. In fact, there weren't even grounds in the filter basket. Caroline scoffed at her oversight, then set about finding the grounds. Again, though, she was surprised to find that the ground coffee was in a shiny red canister beside the coffee maker. It was an unfamiliar container. The curiosity was quickly shrugged off. Vincent tended to pick up the odd item at secondhand shops, and this must have been one of his new finds, a new purchase to surprise Caroline. In fact, she realized the coffee maker itself was new. Bright, shiny red matching the grounds container. Mrs. Aubrey smiled at this little contribution her husband had made, a new coffee maker and a new canister for grounds. A sweet gesture, she mused. Huh. New mugs as well. Caroline patiently waited as the coffee brewed, filling the kitchen with the familiar aroma of mornings at home. She passed the minutes by humming her favorite song to herself, How Great Thou Art. At last, filling two mugs with hot coffee, she returned to the bedroom and was surprised to find her husband wasn't in bed. He must be in the bathroom, she thought to herself, as she set his cup on the nightstand. Then she got back into her side of the bed and began reading a prayer book. Moments became minutes. Soon, Caroline had finished her coffee and Vincent's was cold. Still, no Vincent. Finally, overwhelmed by curiosity, Caroline got back out of bed and went about the task of finding her husband. As she rose from the bedside, something odd caught her eye. A red string. She reached for it. One end of the string was attached to the wall above the headboard. On the opposite end, a tag that read, Pull for Emergencies. Caroline was puzzled and perplexed by this unfamiliar fixture. Nonetheless, she dismissed it. Her focus was on a growing concern for Vincent's whereabouts. The bathroom was empty. She had expected to find him, but instead a dark, silent room. A wave of dread coursed through her body, and a cloud of confusion began to blanket Caroline's thoughts. The uncertainty and doubt grew louder as she descended into a panic. Her behavior grew manic as she hurriedly opened closet doors, shuffled down hallways, and glanced in on each room as she passed it. Still, no Vincent. Now, shaking from the growing panic, she began to call out frantically, Vin! Vincent! Silence. Vincent! Answer me! Still, silence. Then, at last, a response. Caroline? Caroline, are you okay? 
This was a woman's voice, an unfamiliar voice. Who is that? Who are you? Caroline demanded. A young woman, slight in build, with short, curly blonde hair, emerged from the end of the dark hallway. The woman was dressed in powder pink scrubs, her feet clad in black and white checkered vans, and her right arm was covered in a sleeve tattoo from wrist to the cap sleeve of her scrub top. Who the hell are you? What are you doing here? Caroline shouted at the approaching stranger. Frightened of who this person was, Caroline reached for the wall of the hallway to brace herself. It felt different. Not the surface of plaster coated in layers of sand-colored paint, plaster Vincent had laid and paint Caroline had applied herself over decades, a new coat every couple years. In place of the familiar surface, something that felt slick, smooth, with a light texture. It was wallpaper. A bright, colorful wallpaper with scenes of pink hydrangeas, tropical palms, and birds of paradise. Caroline pulled her hand back. Then she glanced down at her feet. Instead of the familiar carpeting of her home, institutional linoleum in a failed impersonation of maple hardwood. Where am I? Caroline murmured to herself. M Mrs. Aubrey, Caroline, look at me, the stranger interrupted. I think you might be a little confused. It's early. You're probably still pretty tired. I, I suppose so, but who, who are you? Where are we? Caroline asked. I'm Jillian. I'm a nurse here. We are at the Benedictine House. This is a care home. This is where you live. Bullshit. I say bullshit. Who do you think you are? Where is my husband? Caroline demanded, shouting at the wincing young woman. Caroline, Caroline, I know this must be confusing, but I'm here to help you. Jillian took Caroline by the hand and tenderly guided her back to her bedroom. This was not the same room where Caroline had just awoken. It was different, small. It was scattered with medical equipment, signs about not standing without assistance, and phone numbers to call for family. Caroline sat on the edge of the tiny, twin-sized bed. It was clad in her blankets and adorned with her pillows from the reading room couch. The nightstand had an assortment of family photographs from around their home. Vincent's wedding band rested on the nightstand beside a small brochure with his picture on the cover. It was a photo of Vincent from Philip's wedding. He's dressed in a silver gray evening jacket, a white vest and white French cuff shirt with a stunning silver tie. It was Vincent's funeral card. Where, where is my husband? 
Caroline, I'm so sorry, but your husband passed a few months ago. Caroline fell silent. She felt her body collapsing in on itself, like a star violently shrinking into a singularity. The emotional gravity was insurmountable. It pulled her into its dark core. Then, a uniquely odd sense of calm. Caroline remembered. She had been here before, in this very conversation. It was a conversation that had happened dozens of times. The darkness of grief was rapidly overshadowed by embarrassment. I know, Caroline said. I, I know, I'm, I'm so sorry. This is, I'm so sorry. It's all right. Jillian continued, as she put a hand on Caroline's shoulder. That's what we're here for. You don't need to feel embarrassed. With that last comforting comment, Jillian left the room and returned to making her morning rounds. Alone in her bed again, Caroline mournfully assessed her surroundings. It was a collection of choice pieces from her home on Kingsman Drive, but a odd hodgepodge of things that had never been together before. An antique desk she used for cataloging family photographs in the basement, now sat in the bedroom corner. A side chair from Vincent's den was beside the old desk. End tables from the living room now served as nightstands, far too short. The love seat from her reading room, but where are all of her books? On the ledge of a window, an assortment of Madonnas and religious figurines she had collected over decades, perhaps two dozen in total, a mere fraction of the hundred or more that filled three curio cabinets in the living room. Caroline never would have displayed these precious mementos so precariously on a narrow windowsill. It was obvious she had not moved here herself. It had happened against her will. Other people, strangers, had unpacked her belongings and these remnants of her life, placing them haphazardly wherever they found space. This was not her home. They were scattered, mismatched, hapless arrangement of miscellanea from her home that made her surroundings feel even more confusing. Tiny pieces of the life she once had to Caroline, it felt like an outward reflection of her mental state, jumbled, mismatched, things in the wrong places or where they didn't belong at all. She felt like a prisoner, shut away in confinement for the mistakes she had made, resented for the abuse family thought she had heaped on Vincent. 
fragments of that last night with Vincent come and go. Caroline tries to capture the memories, but only grasps at pieces. She had kept that final night with him to herself. It was a secret experience only she and her husband shared. It felt tarnished or a violation of his trust to share that intimate experience with others. So she guarded the story like a secret. But unintentionally, she was gradually forgetting pieces of it as the weeks passed. That morning after, the nurse who had found Vincent, a woman who had been the target of Caroline's anger and outrage repeatedly, had snidely informed family members that Caroline wasn't even in the room with him. I don't think she even knew. She was just sitting at the dining table. She had told Margaret and Joseph, feeling self-satisfied that she had tarnished Caroline's reputation, satisfaction that she was obtaining some form of revenge against the ill and demented patient she was supposed to be caring for. The months since Vincent had gone had grown lonelier for Caroline. Margaret and Joseph stayed away, feeling their mother had exacted abuse and mistreatment on their father in his final moments. Philip had grown impatient with his grandmother's conspiracy theories and her growing distrust of family. Josette had once more slipped away when she realized she did not stand to gain any money from her grandfather's death. The rotating staff of the Benedictine house quickly grew frustrated and exhausted by Caroline's unpredictable mood swings and increasing physical outbursts. Their training and expertise was limited to functional assisted living and minimal nursing responsibilities. Dementia was both above their pay grade and their education thrown coffee cups, broken plates in the community dining room, screaming fits, and accusations of criminal conduct and false imprisonment. These were routine occurrences in the months since Vincent's death. Caroline's decline had been expedited by the loss of her confidant. Vincent had gone, and now Caroline was left surrounded by people rapidly growing tired of her instability. Alone, she sits at the dining table, the bedroom door still opened to the now vacant bedroom she refuses to sleep in. Caroline witnesses another season make its mark on the courtyard gardens of the Benedictine House. Are you enjoying The June Bug? Did you know that The June Bug Project is much more than this podcast? 
As we explore new stories each season, the Junebug website will work in tandem with the podcast to roll out new tutorials and services that aim at broadening our audience's education and awareness based on the narratives we are exploring. If you enjoy this project and want to see it continue, please consider becoming a benefactor or a sponsor of the Junebug Project. Your contributions will help to expand the reach of the Junebug and touch more lives. For more information, visit www.thejunebug.org support. Now, Mrs. Aubrey, I am here to help you, the young man said in a stern voice, already growing frustrated with his short conversation with this new client. In his mid-thirties, the man, introduced as Trent, had become a new fixture in Caroline's life. Following Vincent's death and Caroline's growing mistrust of her children, the family had decided to enlist a lawyer to manage Caroline's expenses and care. A third party. A stranger on whom blame and responsibility could be heaped. Margaret and Joseph increasingly washed their hands of their mother's needs. Trent filled the void of their absence. Caroline, Trent resumed, this will be a good change. I think you will be very happy with what I have to say. Trent explained that financially, it was not feasible for Caroline to continue living at the Benedictine house. He had made arrangements to move her back to the house on Kingsman. Caroline was elated. But who would care for her? She was incapable of doing so for herself. Trent had already taken care of that. Josette. Josette would be paid $800 per week, and she and her family could occupy the basement at the family home. Margaret and Joseph had gladly agreed to the arrangement, dismissive of their knowledge of Josette's drug addiction and history of abusive behavior. After all, Josette had increasingly become Caroline's sole focus. This is what she wants, they reasoned. She wants to be with Josette, so fine, let her be. Finally, Caroline would be going home. But what would going home mean without Vincent? Philip answered the early morning phone call from his grandmother, albeit with hesitation. These phone conversations had grown tense. Caroline's conspiratorial thinking of family members had spread to engulf all of the Aubreys. Philip had maintained her confidence, but it was fraying and beginning to fall away. Caroline trusted no one except for the sole individual who still relied upon her for financial support.
Josette. Caroline felt that in Josette was another person who had been shut out by the family and abandoned. Caroline saw herself in Josette. In the weeks since her return home, Caroline had become more reclusive. She demanded on being left alone, certain the other members of her family were somehow conspiring against her wishes, leaving Josie to be the sole individual to know precisely what was happening in the house. Information which Josette resisted sharing with anyone else. Trent had turned a blind eye and allowed this to keep going on. After all, Caroline wanted to take care of Josette. Here was her opportunity. If it doesn't work out, that's no one's fault but Caroline's. There had been a correlation between Josette's caretaking and Caroline's distrust of the rest of the family, but the precise connection had not yet been identified. Philip, where are you? Hi, hi Grandma. I'm, I'm at home. What's going on? Aren't you supposed to be here? Philip recognized that his grandmother was confused. Grandma, I, I don't think so. I, I believe Josie should be there. Is Josie there? He answered, deliberately sounding like perhaps he had made a mistake and leaving his grandmother room to correct him. This way, he hoped to bypass enraging her confusion and frustration. No, no one, no one is here. I've been stuck in bed. I can't get out of bed myself and no one is here. I'm so sorry, Grandma. I, I'm at home, but I'll come down right away. Good, Caroline said, abruptly hanging the phone up. Philip arrived at the Kingsman home just shy of an hour later. Caroline was noticeably distressed and persisted with her notion that Philip was supposed to be her caregiver and not Josette, fervently defending her granddaughter from any perceived fault or responsibility in the situation. Once she was settled and reassured, Philip set about finding exactly where Josette was. It did not take long. In the basement of the Kingsman house is a full in-law suite, there's a separate living room, kitchen, dining room, and a bedroom with an ensuite. Caroline and Vincent had once occupied this in-law apartment when Joseph and his first wife had lived upstairs for a short period in the 1980s. The space was dark, damp, and retained the innate sense of being an unpleasant place. The bedroom was completely black a Bob Marley quilt was tacked up on the wall, covering the only window. And there she was, Josette, passed out, face down on top of the bed, still fully dressed in dirty clothes. 
An array of small Ziploc bags and a burnt spoon sat on the floor beside the bed. A lighter was nearby. Orange syringe caps littered the nightstand. A bottle of Caroline's medication rested beside an askew pillow. Philip shook Josette by the shoulder. No response. He did it again, harder. Still, she snored, completely unaware of her surroundings. Upon returning upstairs, Philip politely dismissed his grandmother's concerns and assured her, Josie just isn't feeling well. She's sleeping in. As a grandmother, Caroline felt responsible to do anything within her power to protect her grandchildren. This included helping to conceal Josette's addiction, something Caroline was intimately familiar with. As a woman ashamed of her own drug abuse, Caroline felt the accusation of Josette being an addict was somehow exposing herself as one too. So Caroline was relentless, unapologetic in her refusal to acknowledge her granddaughter was too an addict. When Philip returned from the basement and dismissed Josette's absence as something inconsequential, Caroline knew there was an underlying story she was being sheltered from. Inspired by true stories, the Junebug Project is always looking for inspirational and informative experiences to share. You can share your story on our website, www.thejunebug.org. A recognizably loud creaking of the guest bedroom door betrayed the moment when Josette finally rose from bed. Philip recognized the sound. He was in the kitchen searching for a late afternoon snack. The tired, disheveled figure of a tall blonde woman emerged from the basement stairs. Like her grandmother, Josie had been blessed with good genes. She was tall, slender, with cheekbones and the jawline of a timeless fashion model. The women of the family had all dabbled in modeling and beauty pageants, including Josette. She had been a natural beauty. Those features were now hidden beneath the flawed skin of meth and a toxic paranoia of people. When Josie realized she was not alone in the house with her grandmother, she became enraged. She had, after all, deliberately kept the household shut off from family members, a choice that protected her irrational behavior and drug use from prying eyes. It was privacy that also kept the true state of her grandmother's health and quality of care concealed. What the fuck are you doing here? She shouted, disturbing the otherwise silence that had befallen the house since Caroline returned to bed. Grandma called. She thought she was alone, so I came down. Well, I'm here. You can leave now. 
Josie announced snidely as she headed down the hallway towards the master bedroom. Grandma, Grandma is sleeping. Josie, Josie. Philip watched in astonishment as Josette barged into her grandmother's room, slamming the door against the wall and announced that she was the only person allowed to care for Caroline. Startled, Caroline woke from her brief rest. What's going on? She mumbled, still disoriented from her sleep. Grandma, Phil is here. He needs to leave. Josie began. Grandma, I am the only one, the only one who knows how to take care of you. Josette's voice grew from a frustrated demand to an angry yell as her pale face flushed and she began flailing her arms frantically about her grandmother. He needs to leave. Why is he here? She demanded to know, but before her grandmother could muster a response, she flew into a rage. Josie stormed towards Philip, scared for he and his grandmother's safety, and hopeful to reveal Josie's true nature, he had withdrawn his phone and began conspicuously filming the exchange. Josette forcefully shoved him out of the bedroom and into the hallway, slamming the bedroom door in his face. Josie attempted to secure the door, but realized there are no locks in this house. Through the bedroom door, Philip could hear his grandmother beginning to sob. Confused and terrified, she asked her granddaughter what was happening, to which Josette explained that she was the sole person capable of caring for her. She then went on to claim that all other members of the family wanted to kill Caroline. No one, Grandma, no one loves you like I do. You cannot trust anyone but me, Josette claimed. Everyone else wants you dead and wants to take all of your money. You can only trust me. You have to tell them to leave. Caroline wiped tears away from her cheeks and reached for a glass of water on her nightstand. It was just out of her grasp. Oblivious to her grandmother's need for assistance, Josette continued to demand Philip be removed from the premises. Caroline again strained to reach the glass, but failed, knocking it over and spilling the water down the side of the table and onto the carpeting. Still, Josette didn't even acknowledge the blatant need for assistance. Fine. Fine. It's fine, Caroline relented. Phil, Philip, Philip, it's okay. Just head home. I'll call you later. Reluctant to accept this, Philip agreed, but then proceeded outside and called Margaret and Joseph, hopeful they could aid in resolving the issue and be alerted to the severity of Josette's malpractice. Having suffered the brunt of their mother's anger in recent months, though, neither felt compelled to involve themselves, instead directing Philip to contact the lawyer, Trent. After a brief phone conversation with Trent, 
during which Philip was admonished for involving himself in Caroline's care when it was Josette's responsibility, Philip followed Trent's orders and reluctantly left. As he navigated down the hill from his grandparents' home, Philip slowed when he began to pass the fateful park. He peered through the trees towards the network of trails and pathways. Doing so, he reflected on that accident, that fall, as being the first incident leading to this moment. Philip was not naive. He had long harbored the knowledge of his grandmother's morphine addiction and shouldered responsibility for not raising awareness to the problem years before. When Caroline had first shared with him her dementia diagnosis, the revelation brought him a deep sense of shame. He feared that his silence about the prescription abuse may have led to her disease. Emotion overcame Philip as he pulled to the side of the road and sobbed. Fancifully, he and his grandmother had long talked about what the final years of her life would be. She had anticipated outliving her husband, but foresaw herself traveling abroad with her grandchildren, visiting her ancestral homeland of Norway, partaking in leisurely Mediterranean cruises and summer excursions to the Vatican. All of this derailed by Josette's stealing of their money and Caroline's declining mental state. The reality of his grandmother's rapid descent into mental disease overwhelmed Philip as he began to grapple with the questions of what he could have done differently, what he would do differently, what more he should have done. Another day turned to night at the Aubrey family home as Josette dotingly crushed a few small blue pills into powder, stirring them into her grandmother's evening tea. These pills were not prescribed by any physician, no, rather they came from a man who went by the name Tiger and lived in his RV behind the neighborhood corner market an acquaintance of Josette's. Confident her evening beverage would keep Caroline sedated well into the next day, Josette returned to the kitchen to fetch a spoon and her lighter before retiring to the guest bedroom. Hours passed, and the downstairs houseguest was yet again deaf to the commotion Caroline made, pleading for assistance, calling out into the night for Vincent. This week's episode of The June Bug touched on a very important subject, the toxic and abusive relationship between Josette and her grandmother Caroline. Please visit 
the Season 1 page on our website for resources regarding elder abuse, www.thejunebug.org. Thank you for listening. The June Bug is produced by Breedlove Creative Enterprises. Original music composed by Bo Ellis Breedlove. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the June Bug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the June Bug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of The June Bug.